Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Politi from NJ Advance Media. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Joined this week, James Cratch and Brian Fonseca making his second appearance on the show. Gentlemen, how you doing today? How's President's Day treating you? Uh, not so great. I, I had to, I woke up to find out that the uh, car battery had died in the parking garage across the street that the city of Morristown had us put our cars in. So I had to call AAA, but they were great. Came right over, jump-started me, and uh, away we go. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you don't have another car disaster. We've already discussed one last week, I think it was, right, with you and cars. So that's good. Uh, yes, the, the, my, my Rutgers car story yes right, uh, yeah yeah excellent all right fellas <clears throat> we got a lot to talk about today uh i'm gonna start here though because uh rutgers at number three michigan on thursday here's my premise if they win this game i think it's going to be the biggest win in 40 years for the rutgers basketball program here, here are my reasons tell me if you agree first of all I, first the biggest they've never beaten a, a team ranked that high they're michigan's third in the country it'd be their first win against michigan obviously after last year uh the wolverines beat them twice uh both at MSG and on the road. Uh, and also, most of all, I think the win punches the ticket for the NCAA tournament, regardless of anything else. I know they, they, they certainly wouldn't want to be in a situation where if they lost out uh, the, their final four games, you know, they would be sweating it. But I think beating number three Michigan would be the win where we, we look back and say, that's it. That ends the 30-year drought. Fonseca, tell me if you agree. Would this be the biggest win in 30, 40 years for Rutgers? I think it would be one of the more impressive. I don't know if I would call it the biggest just because uh, obviously the NCAA tournament didn't happen last year, but those two wins at the end of last year were easily the biggest given the circumstances. I don't necessarily agree with you that they, if they beat Michigan, they'd be a lock either because obviously it's a big win, but at 9-11, and 11, 10, it's not. I think you have to get to 10 wins to feel safe on Selection Sunday. It would be a huge win in that they're beating a team that is one of the three teams who would probably compete for a national championship. Michigan is easily the best team in the Big Ten and they're loaded across the roster. They play the best basketball. They look like an NBA team. Uh, it'd be the, the the most impressive win I can remember. I would not say it would be the biggest win, though. I got to feel like it's 97%, though, Cratch. I mean, where, where do you go on this? If they beat Michigan, and they've got, you know, there's another quad one win. It's on the road. And I just, you know, the other part of that, obviously, is I couldn't see them possibly losing their last four games, especially when you've got, you know, a couple teams on there that they've already beaten. What do you think, Cratch? No, I think it would be a win in a scenario, especially since assuming they beat Nebraska, which I think we all assume they're going to do. I believe Nebraska might be a quad two win potentially really now. Because wow, okay. they upset. What well, could they move up to quad two after beating Penn they were State? Really, really the down the list. I think they were like one sixty in the net. They, they're nevertheless. I, I think that if you 
beat Michigan and you win that game. Even then, like, I still think beating Michigan, it would be the one of the biggest wins ever because we know the history with Michigan. And not only have they never beat Michigan, but, you know, obviously they had never beaten Michigan State, but Michigan has kind of tortured Rutgers yeah. in a way yeah. that Michigan State never did. The Final Four, the NIT, last year, you know, preventing 19-0 at the rack. So it'd be a huge win for them. And I think a win that would really kind of hammer it home. I, I think it also would, in a sense, lift up. I know there's been a lot of debate and discussion about the fan base and how they're kind of like approaching this team and the expectations to beat Michigan, I feel, would like kind of really add some energy and excitement about the team going forward. Because to this point, look, I, I think it's always going to be unfair because you were so close last year. It felt like you went through all of the like Renaissance stuff, but you didn't get the conclusion. You didn't get the payoff. Right. And now I feel it's just kind of like this, tr this drudging, you know, this long trek to get the payoff finally. I do think it would sort of feel like last year again if they upset Michigan. One reason why I, I sort of like their chances again, I watched some of the, you know, Michigan playing that Wisconsin game down. First game in 23 days, you think, all right, this is not going their way. They're down 14 points. Just come just come storming back in the second half and look like, as Fonseca said, you know, borderline NBA team. One thing I do like about this, Brian, is I think this Rutgers team plays better when they are, quote, unquote, the underdog. They'll have that chip on their shoulder. You know, no one's going to expect them to go in there and win this game. You know, I just, it's just as good as Michigan is, you think they've got to have a day uh, somewhere along the line where they, where they stub their toe. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like this could be a, this could be a, an opportunity for the Scarlet What do you think? Can they pull this one off? They can. I don't think they will. I mean, the, the recent history says they, they've lost their last four games against uh, top 20 teams on Ken Palm. And, and like you said, I mean, you, you'd think that Michigan would have an off day at some point, but they haven't really shown that this season. I mean, and the thing is, Michigan is so loaded with talent that if their top two guys have an off night, they have another three guys who can back them up. They have very few weaknesses. I mean, uh, aside from turning the ball over a lot, they really don't do many things poorly. They're a great defensive team. They shoot the lights out. Uh, I mean, they have a great point guard, Mike Smith. There, there's so little holes in this Michigan team. And while I agree with you that Rutgers does play better when they're an underdog, I, I don't think there's enough juice here to kind of, you know, pull, I, I would be very surprised if they pull off the win. And Every, obviously everything would have to be, everything would have to come together, Crash. I mean, you, if you, if, but the one thing we'll say, you know, at least th this looks like a Steve Peichel team again, you know, they're, and, and by that, I mean, they're playing good defense. They're rebounding. Uh, they can't shoot for, you know what, but <laughs> that's still, that's old school Peichel team. Uh, you know, we saw that kind of effort against Northwestern, obviously uh, one of the two worst teams mm -hmm. in the conference. Uh, Crash, do you, I mean, what do you, think the Rutgers would have to do to, to pull this upset I think the biggest thing is that they've got to keep Miles and Cliff out of foul trouble right, have to right. do that you know we saw it against Iowa boom boom all of a sudden you know you're asking Ducor to play big minutes you know you, you just can't be held hostage by that as we've said time and time again I think you have to shoot better like you you're gonna have to shoot a little bit more but I agree with you like the Steve Peichel toughness you know the street fight you know the Paul Mulcahy with the mask and the busted finger, like they need that approach. I, I think I, I agree with Brian. Like, I don't think they're going to beat Michigan, but I, I bet you it's a really close game. Uh, you know, maybe the final score, maybe Michigan kind of pulls away late, but I think it's going to be a scrappy game and they're going to really go and fight out there. You know, we'll, I just don't think they're going to have enough to get over the hump necessarily, but I do think they're going to play well just because I feel like they've got that edge back, that Pikel coach, you know, defense first, offense optional edge back. All right, just, let's to, just to add to yeah, just to add to uh, some numbers to that, there since they've started, uh, since they ended that five-game losing streak, they've won five of the last six. They've been the third most efficient defense in the country uh, per T rank, and 
uh, one thing that Rutgers could really benefit from in, to beat Michigan is if Ron Harper Jr. just starts getting back into the rhythm from three. I mean, he's in, in a massive slump. He's missed his last 19 threes. I think 30, man. 39 of his last 44, something along those lines. Um, and, and if he can get back to I, – I don't think he's as bad a three-point shooter as he's showing now, obviously. I think it's pretty clear he's not as good as a 50% three-point shooter he was early in the year. But if he could start seeing the ball go through the hoop and have, you know, get back in rhythm, have a hot night, that is one thing that could maybe give Rutgers a chance. But I think if Ron Harper Jr. does not play up to the level that he played up earlier in the season, Rutgers is always playing on the back foot against these top elite teams in the Big Ten. Right, they do need another uh, another guy to carry them offensively. All right, let's just take this. Uh, let's just play this forward here. Best case, worst case scenario. I was talking to Brad Watchell. I believe he is the best bracketologist in the in the country. Uh, former Rutgers uh, assistant coach, uh, and he said he thinks that that the Scarlet Knights could get as high as a number five seed, maybe five six level. Right now, he's got them slotted as a seven. All right, so if they, if they if this plays out the way we think it's going to play out, Cratch, and, and you know they, that they go three and two here or two and three, they get a win in the Big Ten tournament. Are we looking at the seven line for this team, six seven line, or, or is is there is there is there a shot at something better? You think? I think this team wants to be on the seven line. That's just, I mean, I'm curious in what Brian thinks. I mean, I just think if you're a seven seed or even a ten seed, you know, somehow, right. you're, you're gonna, you're getting a, I, usually a more manageable, you know, game. And not only that, but if you win the first round game, and obviously that's, you know, saying a lot since Rutgers has never hasn't been there in 30 years, you get a two seed. And I just think this year you don't want to be in a situation where you've got Gonzaga sitting there, you know, in the next yeah. round. So I feel like getting a two would work. I, I, I saw that Brad said that. I was like, oh. If Rutgers gets a five, I cannot wait for a week of like, oh my, oh no, five twelve game. Here right, we go. Yeah. Some, some team like Drake at a twelve, one of those you know, un, under you know typical underdog upset uh, specials. Like, I mean, we're comes, picking, we're gonna get the, the UConn Stanford play in game. You know they're gonna they're gonna be hot. They're, they're gonna have a game under their belt. Yeah. First four. <laughs> yeah, I think Rutgers wants to be a seven seven or a ten C. That's why I thought the whole time is that way you get it. You get a week two because you know this is kind of a crazy year in college basketball. You get a week two and then all of a sudden you're in a Sweet Sixteen. Fonseca, you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think they'd just be happy to. To, to get into the tournament, whatever uh, seed that may be. I think the seventh seed is probably the most likely given the way uh, bracketologists have been projecting it for the past um, past couple of months. And uh, they, it's led to some interesting uh, matchup projections. Like I've seen uh, Wachtell had uh, Rutgers playing Seton Hall as a 10 seed. Um, someone, I think it was Joe Lenardi, had them playing Oregon, which has uh, Eugenio Maruri on it as a 10 seed, which either of those would be super juicy first round matchups that I think would give Rutgers base a heart attack uh, within you know f- five minutes after selection Sunday, so that would that would be a that that would be interesting at least. Let me just put, make this clear: there is no name that will pop up there as the opponent in any situation that won't get won't get Rutgers fans a heart attack. I, yeah, I think that's fair. That that it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious. But there's many different scenarios where it would be a, a, a more of a massive coronary than others, certainly. But I would love Seton Hall. Well, that would be some that would be something great. Seven ten, Seton Hall at like what. Uwe Pui's gym or at the, you know. Indiana State Fairgrounds. Indiana State Fairgrounds. Actually, Seton Hall's like, actually, can we take an NIT, man? Stay closer to home. Yeah, right. (laughs) That'd be something else. You know, I actually think, I'm looking at it, I think, 
UConn, I believe Brad had him as a, a playing game. UConn would be a great first-round opponent. That would be a lot of fun. Seton Hall, I think Oregon would have a lot of juiciness to it. Although the Oregon thing, no, like, that I think would have, believe it or not, like, of the three we've mentioned, like, I feel like that could be, like, the nastiest yeah, one. Yeah. Essentially, I actually think if I was Steve Peichel, I might be a little bit concerned about potentially drawing Oregon just because you know you guys are going to be excited. First tournament game in 30 years, you're all amped up. And then you throw in the whole Eugene right. thing, where clearly there were some bad feelings, you know, on the Rutgers side. I almost feel like that would be one of those games where you're worried about you're, you're five minutes in and everyone's got two fouls and someone's gotten a technical. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just want to, like, slow down. It's crazy to think that Seton Hall might be the more mild, you know, neutral kind of composed matchup for Rutgers in the end. Right. If you're Steve, if you're Steve Puckle, you're rooting for some anonymous SEC team that no one no one imagined you'd be playing. You don't yeah, you don't want either one of those. That's uh, percent. I think Steve would, would prefer any anything that doesn't have a storyline because all he's basketball, 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 and the idea of talking about playing Seton Hall after, you know, they ducked you all season or playing Eugene Marie again is probably the biggest nightmare in his mind. All right, guys, let's dive into true or false. You know the rules, Fonseca. I think you still know the rules. We're going to go through them, true or false, then we'll talk about the end. All right, first one, true or false. The only thing that can stop Rutgers from making the tournament is COVID-19. Brian Fonseca, true or false? False. Cratch? True. I agree with you, Cratch. True or false, Steve Peichel has no choice but to stay patient with Ron Harper Jr., no matter how bad this slump gets. Fonseca, true or false? True. Cratch? True. All right, true or false? Miles needs the damn ball more. True or false? Fonseca, is Miles Johnson getting enough shots? Needs the ball more. True. Cratch? True or false? I will say true, but I think we'll talk about it later. <laughs> All right. True or false? A Big Ten team will win the national championship this year. Brian Fonseca, true or false? False. Cratch, true or false? False. Oh, man, you ruined the next one for me. If the Big Ten wins a national championship this team, that team is this year, that team most likely would be Michigan. Fonseca, true or false? True. Cratch? True. The next best option for a national championship out of the Big Ten? Illinois. Fonseca, true or false? Uh, this is tough, but yeah, I'll say true. Cratch? False. False? All right. We'll find out how you got in a minute. And finally, true or false, President's Day. The best American president is George Washington. Brian Fonseca, true or false? False. Oh, all right. Coming out hot. Cratch? Uh, false. Who are you going to go with Cratch? Like with Ronald Reagan? I could see I could see you like in, in yeah, kindergarten or something with your American flag and Ronald Reagan. Who do you got? <laughs> Well, I think obviously Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, well, Lincoln won. Okay. You know, I, I think you could make a very you could make an argument that it's it's John Adams just speak simply because the peaceful transition. But wait, but wasn't it wasn't Washington who had to have the peaceful transition? What did... No, I believe I I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, we have to delete this so I don't embarrass myself <laughs> greatly. I believe it was Adams to Jefferson was the was the change the first time the, the party. First, yes, right. First peaceful transition. Yes. Right. You know, okay. I I think you know so. Yeah, I, I'll say I'll say Lincoln, but I think you could also make a case for Adams. Fonseca, you got a vote here. What are you going with? Uh, yeah, FDR. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue wow. against the president who rescued the nation from its worst economic. I like that. That's a good. That's under, that's he a good was a compiler. 
<laughs> just exactly. You stay hung in there too long. My my, my wife is related to uh, our second worst president, James Buchanan. So my now my kids have James Buchanan's blood. How do you like that? Pretty pretty impressive, huh? Yeah, pretty All cool. right. Hey. Okay. All right. So you now you both think that Ron Harper Jr. should he 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 should stick. He's got he they can't put him on the bench. Can't try to shake him up a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about that, Fonseca? I think you got to just let him shoot through it. Um, yeah. They've been able to win games without him playing super well offensively, which is a testament to how good this team is, right? And I think uh, he's more likely to get back into rhythm by just shooting out of the slump than, you know, sitting on the bench. And frankly, I'm not quite sure if they have a much better offensive option than, than him. I, I still think even the way he's playing, he's finding other ways to score. Uh, and, and he's the best option they have at the position where they're, they're pretty thin at, at the four spot. Right, so right. Uh, I, one, I think it's good to keep him on the floor, but even if they wanted to take him off the floor, there's not really much they could, you yeah. know, sign for him. And he's been, he's been doing well re- rebounding. You know, there's a stretch there against Iowa, I thought. He just looked he just looked, he was lethargic, running up and down the floor, really not moving as much as we saw earlier from the season, not as much intensity, uh, different, different story against Northwestern. Uh, Crash, you, you were iffy on the Miles D's the ball. Matt. What frustrated me is you thought in that, in that first half against, that, against Northwestern, you know, when he was getting fed that thing, he, I mean, he was virtually unstoppable against a bad Northwestern, you know, Front front court, uh, and then they just went away went away from it in the second half. No, what I was gonna say is like I totally agree with you, but at the same time too, like his free throw shooting is such a liability that like are you gonna get like to like a hack a mile situation? <laughs> I love it down the stretch. Like, is that gonna become a problem for Rutgers? Yeah. You know, our team's gonna start using that approach. It, the more touches he gets, the more he's gonna end up going to the line and. You know, we, we have proven that if he's in the paint and he gets fouled, you know, the odds of you getting away with one or no points scored right. are pretty good than stopping right. him from getting the bucket. I mean, we haven't seen that strategy. The thing is that teams, college teams don't have enough decent big men to do that, like in the pros. But, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Certainly late in games, I would, that would be a good strategy. Uh, all right, anybody, anything else? So you don't think the Big Ten will break that streak, Fonseca? What are you going with, Gonzaga or Baylor? Or who, who do you yeah. like? Yeah, Gonzaga and Baylor are just so much better than everyone else in the in, in the college basketball that I would be stunned if if they didn't win the the title. Um, I, like Michigan is third in in the country in efficiency margin on Ken Palm, and uh, everyone like fourth is Iowa, which is a one point behind them. Baylor is five points ahead of Michigan, and Gonzaga is eight points ahead of Michigan. Like they're the gap between those two and everyone else is is an ocean. When was the last time the clear the clear favorite won the NCAA tournament? Uh, Virginia in uh, 2019. Were they clearly the favorite? I mean, that was kind of a – they just lost the year before. Was everybody picking Virginia? I guess Will and over too a couple years ago. I mean, ago. They, yeah. they, were, they were like the clear best team in, in the country, I think. Uh, right. Narrative, I guess, was that they, they you know, fell in the first round last year. Could they do it again? That's the narrative. But, I mean, on paper, they were easily the best team in the country. No, it didn't happen. The best team didn't win last year. Uh, the COVID nineteen thing. There you it go. It was a three hundred fifty three team tie. There we go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, okay. Let's uh, move on. Well, it is real quick. What's this? Um, I would. I like. I know Iowa plays no defense, but that offense. They're so good offensively, and when you're playing so many games as the as tournament's going to be in Indianapolis in a football stadium, that can be kind of weird. Things could happen there. I could see this being some crazy year where. Iowa can just offense its way to a title if we're talking about the best Big Ten option. Right, right. Because if, if 
obviously everyone's shooting is going to be impacted, but maybe Iowa's is impacted less. Yeah. And Gars is so dominant that they might be able to. This, I, I do think Gonzaga is going to win. I feel like it's finally time for the Zags, to, you know, Mark Few, to get a title. But how many times has that been said over the years? But okay. No, right. but here, but the thing is, they've never been like this good. It's true. Like they've yes. been like they should be in the Final Four good, but they've never been like this is the best team in the country good. <laughs> I, but yeah, I just think Iowa. You know, maybe there's some weird way that the defense doesn't matter this year and they just kind of shoot their way through a counterpoint to, to that. I, I agree that it's a weird year, so this might be invalid, but uh, there's, there's this thing that every national champion of the last 20 years, other than one, other than 2014, UConn has ranked in the top 20 in Ken Palm and offense and defense. Like this has been a consistent thing throughout hmm. 20 years. Uh, Iowa's offense is number one in the country. It's defense is 108th. So, and Iowa's defense is bad. Rutgers had like at least seven or eight wide open threes. And that happened. And Rutgers is not amazingly efficient offense. If Iowa runs into a Gonzaga or, you know, another offense that can match them, that, that I just can't see them having a chance. And to, to, to that end, the only two teams in the Big Ten that are currently in the top 20 in Kent Palm on both are Michigan and Illinois. So you nail that, Steve. You know what's good about the, having Fonseca on the, on the show, Cratch, is that he brings um, information, like actual facts. He does. As opposed to us, where we just right. kind of Some... fire up the computer and just start yeah. yakking. <laughs> yelling at each other uh all right let's move on really quick to uh uh football um i should think it's a good topic it, it's just uh, uh the recruiting success right now or the recruiting trends we're seeing cratch you know uh stocking up on offensive linemen in this class uh they, they, they've got commitments from a bunch of guys and i think we're seeing what greg shannon is going to try to do there in developmental program he says that again and again he's going to take big bodies uh long you know mm-hmm. athletes and he's going to get him in the get him in the weight room and hope that Jay Butler works the magic. I mean, is that is that what you think is going on here? No, definitely. I think that look, he would never come out and say it, but it's very obvious when they got here, they looked at as anyone would have looked at this team and said offensive and defensive lines, biggest weakness area, biggest issue where they're not up to Big Ten par. They made a major emphasis on adding defensive linemen in the last two years. You know, in the 2020 recruiting cycle with the transfers and in 2021, it seems like now 22 and 23, this is going to be about adding offensive line talent. My question is, you know, there's still going to be like a, a gap year or two before those 22, you know, and, and 21 and 22 and 23 guys are ready to go. I think they're going to have to use the transfer portal to probably fill in some gaps on the offensive line to kind of bridge the gap. But it's clear this is becoming the trend. They, they are focusing on two things overall from the two recruiting classes, speed and the trenches. And obviously they were fo- emphasis was early on the defensive line now shifting to the offensive line. And I think it's interesting that it's a piece of bad news, technically speaking, but also a piece of good news. They lost the Addison Copeland, uh, Western New York, Buffalo uh, uh, receiver, you know, and, and, I, and the fact they lost him after, you know, identified him early, they brought him, they got the commitment and Notre Dame came in with, with an offer, you know, that shows that they're identifying the right players. Obviously you don't want to lose them. Uh, but I guess Todrick Hunt said that, that this, this kid's still considering Rutgers. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but it is a sign again, that they are getting in on these guys earlier, getting commitments uh, before the big ones come in and, and, uh, and take notice. No, definitely. And I think, the good thing is it feels like the list of like schools that a Rutgers commit gets an offer from and like it's over is shrinking. Right. Like you right, can't right. fault Notre Dame is Notre Dame. You can't yes. fault the young man. But I feel like it's not like, oh, I got an offer from Iowa. I'm done with Rutgers. Yeah. Like I feel like or Syracuse. Like it's that that list is shrinking. Like, look. Well, it was Temple a few years ago. My gosh. Exactly. Were, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, that's the thing. Like Rutgers, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. 
Ohio State, always going to be playing at a different level right. and, and when it comes to this. But you don't want those second-tier teams to be like a destination that you just get dropped like a bad habit. All right, let's dive into some Rutgers insider questions again, nj.com backslash insider. Thanks again for, for subscribing, following, and contributing to the podcast each week. It helps us fill the time. All right, I'm going to go right another basketball question, Fonseca. Do you guys know if Miles Johnson is on track to graduate this spring for his, dub, for his double engineering major? He is such a force and integral part of this team. I'd love to see the band get back together again next year. Fonseca, if you had to guess, Miles Johnson, is he going to finish up and leave or is he going to stick around? He's going to graduate. I think he's uh, tweeted about applying to graduate schools uh, earlier in the in the year. So he's going to graduate. He's going to get into grad school. He's already been accepted to Rutgers grad school. Oh, um, I bet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, 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 if I had to guess today, yeah, I think he's coming back to Rutgers. It seems uh, over the summer in his uh, his Black Dev, uh, the, his nonprofit organization, uh, in, in the bio, bio of that organization, he said he plans on getting a master's degree from Rutgers University. So it seems like the, the goal for him is to stay at Rutgers and, and – and uh, finish out his degree. I, I have seen no indications that that is uh, that has changed. So yeah, I expect him to be back. If he left this year, would he get drafted? Is he the kind of kid that one more year in that program would would after getting better each year, where he could get into the position where he's getting a million dollar contract, or, you know, the guaranteed money? I don't think he could realistically make an NBA roster because he, I mean, he he just doesn't he can't play outside of the paint offensively, and as as good of a defensive force as he is. I don't know how much that would translate into the league. And I don't even know if, if that's something he wants to do. Miles is, is a kid who really has a lot of interest outside of basketball. And I think he's more focused on his career of being, you know, an engineer, uh, one day wanting to work on Silicon Val- at, in Silicon Valley. Uh, so I would be – one, I, I, don't think, I don't think he'd make it, frankly. And two, I think he just – I think he'd rather just move on with his life. All right. Another question about the basketball team. Love Young's energy off the bench, but don't like seeing him at the point. He can be a wild stallion in the turnover machine. Good writing there, questioner. Uh, I want more Geo at the point, especially at crunch time. Uh, so here's a question for you, Cratch. Who do you think this team is best with? Because they use three different point guards. Who's this te- who is this team's best point guard? This team is at best when that person is running the show. I think it's Geo. Yeah. I mean, Geo's the guy. I, I, I mean, I think, it's the, I think as the season progresses and we get to the nitty gritty, we're going to see Geo more and it's going to become, you know, they're going to want the ball in Geo's hand in crunch time taking a big shot. I think that at the end of the day, this is, this is Geo's team. What for how much longer, who knows, but like, this is, he's the guy who was always going to be tied with Pykele for the, for the rebuild. And I think this is going to be the guy they're going to kind of lean on down the stretch. Fonseca, do you agree? Or can you make a, can I make a case for when Paul, when the ball's in Paul Mulcahy's hands, I know, I know everyone's going to touch it, you know, and he, and he's, he's an excellent passer. I agree. I agree. I think, I think he's the best, uh, facilitator on the team i agree with crouch that the balls the the Rutgers is best when the ball is in geo baker's hands uh he can get you a bucket you know down in crunch time when you need it um he he moves it well yeah i mean i, I, mean, I agree I, I think the thing is with jacob young i thought the 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 question was worded perfectly he uh he's really a boomer bust player where he can yeah. you know drive and create something some magic hit a layup but at the same time he'll make a a poor turnover or or a you know a travel uh, he, he has and he has an insanely high usage he, he's used 27 percent of the possessions he's on the floor like he, he whenever he is on the floor and he has the ball he's going to either take a shot 
or or turn the ball over. So it, it, that boomer bust is really something that when when games get close, you can't really afford to to have. But to answer the question, I think Joe Baker is the best ball. Uh, the Rutgers is best when the ball is in Joe Baker's hands. Right, this is another good basketball question. I love this one. Okay, if you had to choose, who is the player on the current Rutgers roster most likely to be in the NBA and who is the player most likely to be a college hedge coach day? I think the answer to the first one is easy. I think the answer to the second one is pretty tough. So who, who, do, you, who do you got, uh, Fonseca, to, to, to the, those two questions? Yeah, I think these are slam dunks. I think the Ron Harper Jr. is easily the best NBA prospect on this team. Really? Close. Come yeah, on. Easily. What about Cliff? The guy's seven foot two with a wingspan. That, you know, I mean, you mean to tell me that he's not going to get the NBA? He's not going to play professionally for 12 years with that body and that, that skill level? I never said that. I did not say that. <laughs> Ron Harper Jr. is just he's like at this point, what he's shown, I think he is uh, obviously he's been slumping, but the, the Ron Harper Jr. that was there the first half of the season is easily an NBA player. Um, Clifford Murray could make the NBA. He has the athleticism. He has the body. He has the size. He has a lot to work on. I mean, he's still very raw, but with his work ethic and, and uh, the, the development program that Rutgers has, I, would, I have no doubt he, he will make the NBA. Do you want to break that tie, or, or, or do you have somebody else? No, I, I think it's Ron, just because I think that Ron – I mean, I'm sure that they'll both make the NBA. You know, I, Cliff's definitely going to have a cup of coffee there, but I, I do think Ron is the NBA guy. And the other question was, who's most likely to be a uh, high school uh, – Basketball co- head coach? Yeah, head, college head coach someday. I would say uh, I probably Paul. I mean, that's kind of like the, the cliche answer. I'm trying to run down the roster. I just yeah, think Gio would – Gio's going to play for a while, or at least overseas, and, and uh, he seems like he's got more interest outside of basketball as well. I'm trying to think of what you're you, – you know, McKay's obvious coach's son you – know, not coach's, but, you know, obviously mm-hmm. comes from a basketball family. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, what do you I got? Think I think it's easily Paul. I, th- I think it's, it's – there's no – I mean, you, you listen to the guy talk. He's like a head coach. He, he – Every press conference, he 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 talks like he's Steve Peichel. Like he he has you know he's a good basketball mind, and I, I agree with Cratch. It's 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 cliche, but I I mean I think I don't think it's any close. Uh, walk on uh, Nick Brooks. Uh, he's he looks he's looking to pursue coaching uh, as well. And if you watch games and you see the sideline, he's always either behind the basket or on the sideline yelling out plays and telling his teammates where to go. So I think he might be a sneaky candidate. But I think I think Paul Mulcahy is easily the most likely. I also think right. Luke, Luke Nathan would be a really fun college head coach. I would yeah. want to play for Luke Nathan. Good, a good feature there by our by Fonseca about the uh, the incredible energy from the Rutgers bench, and that makes a big difference. And there's actually a good question about it. Uh, you know, in retro, from a, from another texter, uh, in retrospect, do you believe the current first year class has been a disappointment? Seems to me it has, that it has. Uh, I would I would argue the opposite. I don't think this is a developmental program. They've got a good starting group, and the fact that those guys are so invested in this team and. And, and you know, it was clearly, I don't think there's anybody, at least we're not, we're not close to it, but it doesn't look like there's anybody who's griping about not being out there. And uh, when they've been out there, they certainly have shown flashes. Do you agree, Fonseca, that the guys on this, that that, that class is not a disappointment? I mean, it's, I think it's way too early to call them a disappointment. Uh, but unless you thought they were going to come in and play, not you, I mean, whoever right, this right. is addressing, uh, thought he, they were going to come in and, and, you know, play 25 minutes a game. I can't see this as a disappointment. They had no, they had no regular preseason, uh, you know, training camp. They had no... Uh, tw- uh, 15 game p- cupcake schedule to kind of ease into Big Ten play, yep. and they're playing on a team that is a veteran, you know, f- full of veterans. They have an eight man rotation who was coming back from last year, and uh, they have a solid group of guys who take the floor. So there's not even many minutes for them to take. Like you said, they I don't see any griping about not playing. I think they all understand their roles. They understand that they have still a lot of work to do, and um, I think uh, they're they're they've shown signs of being able to become what. 
Steve Pike, I hope for them to be. It's just a matter of them developing and taking coaching and becoming that. Okay. <clears throat> we got a bunch of uh, football questions. Uh, so is, is Art Zikowski in the quarterback picture? And what did you think about his performance this year? Uh, and the second part to that is under Shiano, tight ends were prominent, yet seemed mostly invisible this year as they were kept in the pocket to protect or kept to protect with mixed results. Um, why didn't Shiano address this area, the recruiting or transfer market? Scratch, what do you what do you got? You you're still you still like you still think uh, Art's got an outside shot and where are the tight ends? I think Art has an outside shot. You know, look, they they haven't added a quarterback and I think they, they still might do that after spring practice and when the another wave of guys hits the portal, but you really can't count on that. You know, I think one of the things that Rutgers is kind of reckoning with is even with the offensive success they had this past season, they're not at the point yet where a transfer portal quarterback who's got suitors can say, I want to go to Rutgers. And, you know, I think a lot of these guys like, where am I going to go be Gardner Minshew and get to go throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdown passes and, and get drafted? Well, no one's looking at Rutgers yet, even though Sean Gleason did a tremendous job kind of, getting that offense into a functional you know, sense, no one's looking there saying that's the place where I'm going to go and throw the ball a lot and, and put up a lot of yards and points. So I think they're still kind of, they're still maybe a year or two away from really being a, a strong suitor for these, you know, the top quarterbacks to hit the portal tight ends. Look, I've written about it a lot. I think it's a major area of weakness for this team. You know, you look back on it, they lost Travis Vokalek to transfer to Nebraska. Uh, he hasn't developed into much of a pass catcher there, but he's, been a, who's a tremendous blocker for them this past season. And, you know, I think Giovanni Hassan's a guy who's coming back, obviously. Yeah, he had some flashes this past season. I think he's a good, you know, solid number two tight end. But when you're asking to do a lot and be that number one guy, I think it's a little bit too much. Uh, I think it's, look, it, it's an area they definitely have to address. They've recruited several young tight ends who are developing. I think that there's only so many tight ends in a transfer portal. And again, you know, these, you know, it's a, it's a finite resource and other schools are looking for it and have a better case to make. But I do think that's a group that really needs to step up because, you know, obviously Jonathan Lewis just never panned out in the moving tight end. Now he's in the portal, you know, Matt Alimo is a guy who I, this really hasn't caught on, you know, so I think it's, they're just an assist. It was, Greg inherited a situation where the tight end room was not great. And I think they made it better bringing Haskins in, but they still have a way to go. Just, just to follow up on the quarterback idea, and it's another question from, from, from another insider. At what point do, they, do you have to have the guy on the roster where you're like, okay, that's the, that's the quarterback of the future? At what point do they have to have the recruit they bring in where everyone points to him and says, you know, they finally have gotten the guy that, you know, we, we have identified that they're going to build this offense around? What do you think? Yeah, uh, 2022 class. Has to be they 2022 to, class. They have to have the guy, you know, I, they're doing well with this Braden Davis in Delaware. They have to have the guy. Is that the guy? That, you think? I think he's one of the guys who's in the mix, but, like, they have to have the guy, like, now. Right. Like, 2022, you know, obviously it's great if you can add a guy in the portal this spring, summer, but they have to get a big-time quarterback in this 2022 class. I feel like this is make or break for them. And, I, and the sense I get from talking to people in the football community is Rutgers realizes they have to get the quarterback in 2022. Alright, one more from the insiders. Uh, this is this is coming off a, a Keith Sargent story from last week. Other than 250 alumni donating $1 million each, how do you see Rutgers Athletic Department revenue financial situation being resolved in the next 10 to 15 years. Karachi and I have talked about this a lot. I, I mean, you know, I just, I just don't. I, it's either going to be the university waving a magic wand and getting rid of that debt, or 
I think they're just always they're just always going to spend more than they make. I mean, I, that that's just the reality of the situation they're in. Is there a way that they can solve this? Because it's certainly not it's not coming from two hundred fifty donations for a million dollars each. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I think that we obviously wrote the story about the, the athletic internal debt has tripled in the last two years. I think it's about sixty six point seven million dollars part of that debt is the Rodkin Center and the APC. So that's, which I would say this, you know, to Rutgers University, those buildings house four programs, only two of them, men's and women's basketball, or, you know, full full scholarship, you know, full head count sports. There's academic services for every student athlete at the Rodkin Center. So I'll be honest with you, like, I think Rutgers University at some point needs, like, you have a university, you have athletic teams. Like, it's okay to wave the magic wand and pay for those buildings. Now, look, I understand if you say, no, you know, we're not going to pay for a football-only building, you know, totally get that, or, or loan from the university bank to build that, get that. But these are buildings that aren't just for basketball or aren't just for football, they're for all your students who, who, who compete in athletics. So I just don't, I think at some point, you know, if the science department needs a new building, I, I, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think they say, okay, well, here, you got to pay us back $50 million for this building. You know, I, right. so that, I think I've said this once, I'll say it a lot. I think the best way we could college athletics kind of pivot out of a post coronavirus world is you take men's and women's basketball and football and and the sports that, you know, have a a full scholarship package. You spin those off. Maybe at some schools, you know, if if baseball is super profitable or hockey super profitable, you can put it there, but everything else should be funded by the university. Because these are kids who don't have full scholarships, who are paying tuition, who are paying housing. It, it should be on Rutgers. Rutgers should be paying for there to be a baseball team or a gymnastics team, not the football money being used to pay for that. Because football and basketball and women's basketball probably would be relatively self-sufficient with the Big Ten TV check and the, the right. concessions and tickets and everything and donations. All right. Uh, we've got a bunch more, but that's where we'll end it this week. As always, Everyone, thank you for sending your questions. Uh, what else we got, guys? Anything else? Is, is, is wrestling ever going to wrestle again? Is women's hoop going to emerge? I mean, what? what you know? Yeah, so um, real quick with wrestling, they're, they're back practicing last week. They're on schedule to wrestle at Maryland on Friday, I believe it is. Then two weeks off, and then you're going to start the Big Ten Championships. So, you know, as long as everyone gets their yeah. four bouts, they should be pretty good. You know, the good thing is – They're not going to reschedule those matches? I, I do not believe so, no. I, I think that there's a push you – because know, they don't really have to. You know, it's not like basketball where it's there's a team tournament and you got to have a resume. It, this is really, you know – they don't really have to do that for wrestling. You know, I think a lot of times in wrestling, you're better off just being in the, in the room and training rather than having a dual meet and make, making weight and everything. So there, everyone will get their bouts in, you know, obviously we don't know who or, or has tested positive. You know, the schools aren't releasing that. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. The, my understanding has been that whatever lineup they put out there on uh, when they wrestle at Maryland is not going to be a lineup that like shocks everyone. You're like, Oh my God, like, where is everyone? I don't know exactly what it's going to look like at this point, but the, even if people tested positive, they should have enough time to go through the protocol and be back for the big 10 championships. And then it's going to be kind of, you know, you know, couple couple weeks sprint. You know, to see yeah. you know if Sebastian Rare can win a national title. Obviously, it doesn't look like Nick Sarriano's coming back. See how many guys they can get to nationals uh, with the allocations and the coaches ranking. I think Rutgers could maybe send 
six, seven, eight, nine guys to nationals if, if everything breaks right. So that should be good. And women's basketball, they're hot. You know, they come back from a month-long break. They won three straight. They upset, you know, ranked Northwestern on the road. So they're going to be kind of knocking on the door of the top 25. And I think it, with a couple more wins, they're going to be easily in the NCAA tournament field. No, oh, okay. There you go. I, compl- I completely missed that. I apologize. Fonseca, why don't you, t- you give us the last word since I've obviously not been paying attention. Yeah, I mean, women's basketball winning three games after seemingly having a whole offseason again is uh, very impressive. Um, it's interesting to see teams react to the time off. And uh, you mentioned before, Michigan coming off a, a two, three-week break and beating Wisconsin at Wisconsin shows that I guess we might be overestimating how much this the long pauses can affect teams. Uh, I guess we will see if that will affect uh, Michigan, uh, the second game offense break against Rutgers, but um, something to watch. Well, I think the big key is what I'm what I'm learning is that not every you know stoppage is created equally. You know, like for instance, like wrestling, they they pause on like a Wednesday, and the guys who were good to go were back rest in the room on you know Monday. Where it seems like women's basketball, they were able to do with the people who didn't test positive and the people who kind of cleared the protocol, they were able to do some sort of activity in the weeks leading in. I think the big thing too for, for Rutgers women's basketball is they had a good two weeks of real practice, you know, because they had a game that was Michigan's COVID issue stoppage kind of canceled one game and then i think the, the other game it was more of a situation with you know they, just, they had you know a couple injuries in practice they just had to get through so i think that we're finding out that there's some teams that are completely doing nothing and there's some teams that are able to do something and i think those teams are able to kind of get out of the gates quicker all right gentlemen good show i appreciate it we'll be back uh soon after and we'll have know much more about what's going to happen with this Rutgers basketball season steve politi signing off for james crash brian Fonseca. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.